Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And as we do from time to time, delve into important issues affecting the firm community, actually the wider community. And one of those certainly, uh, un- un- to our great uh, misfortune, Lavoseno Harabim, having to deal with issues such as abuse, sexual abuse, and the like that go on in the community, certainly in the news, and not something we should in any way, shape, or, for- or form ignore about some of the things that go on, particularly the saga of what happened in Eretz Yisrael with Chaim Walder, uh, prolific author, therapist who uh, still a source of controversy and something I think uh, collectively uh, from a public uh, perspective we need to deal with. Uh, so we have joining us a very esteemed special guest this week, uh, Rabbi Yanki Horowitz, or just known as Yanki uh, to, to the Klal, a pioneering personality in the From Community, the founding dean of Yeshiva Darchi Noam in Muncie, as well as the direct director of the Bright Beginnings Project, also uh, initially uh, Project Yes, and other very important projects of the community. Uh, Yanki has brought to the forefront, Rabbi Horowitz, I should say, for public, I know we, he likes to be called certain things, but I'm going to be more formal, has really brought to the forefront of our consciousness many, many issues affecting the from community. So welcome to Spin Class. Thanks for joining us and talking about a somewhat uncomfortable topic. Thank you, Michael. It's nice to be with you. I hope, you're, uh, I hope your listeners find it productive and thought-provoking. So let's just start from the top, uh, and it's the question that needs to be asked. We know, well, we don't know exactly what happened. We do know that uh, that there was very credible reports of sexual abuse from Chaim Walder. We do know he was an author at the same time of books that are found in many a from home. We also know that the reaction to it was somewhat unusual in the fact that uh, I don't think maybe it wasn't swift enough, but it basically convened. They took testimony. There seemed to have been a credible reaction from within the community. But then there was incredible controversy in his posthumous uh, life, as far as what was written on his cover, as far as the some of the media publications in the Haredi community extolling him, some even writing Zatzal when it came to him. Uh, I guess from a micro perspective, to talk about him specifically, but from a macro perspective, have we learned anything? Has the from community, the Haredi community, or even beyond the modern Orthodox community, let's not limit it, have we learned anything from these issues? We are not immune. We know that we're not immune. We know that they continue to happen. Are we learning anything as a community? So thank you, Michael. Look, there's no question that things are are far more advanced in this space than they were even a few years ago. I mean, the biggest proof is, I think that people were so disappointed, the survivors especially got so triggered, because I believe partially because the response up until he committed suicide was really anything you could, everything you could ask a community to do. And it happened very quickly. You said rapidly. Look, Morty Getz of Eichler's store in, in Bar Park really deserves um, 
every member of our community's deepest gratitude because, you know, he put put his money where his mouth is. He he risked a lot of money and you know took some slings and arrows for coming out publicly, and and taking the books off the shelves in his store before anybody did anything. But right after that, Yated Naman, the very Haredi paper in Israel, um, <clears throat> Walder had a weekly column there. They pulled him. He was a, a, a he had a radio show. He was pulled from that immediately. Much, much faster. <clears throat> excuse me. Much faster than anyone would have expected. And I think, I certainly did. I said, "Look, things are really improving. Things are really changing." And then when he, when Walder committed suicide, I think, I think they just, folks just got bugged out. They just, you know, reacted emotionally and started um, defending him and. You know that was really very triggering to survivors when they, when they heard you know the, as you mentioned these laudatory things that were said about him, um, you know the 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 fact that he had such a huge funeral and the mayor spoke and you know a lot of you know Michael the backstory is is that since the beginning of time abuse, it, it's child sexual abuse or any abuse uh, domestic violence, um, even to a a tiny degree bullying it's all about the same dynamic it's the powerful that abuse the weak and they take advantage of these voiceless kids or or women or or in this case with all the girls even and you know the the abusers are often especially the serial abusers are often well connected and there's an imbalance of power and, it, you know, the research shows that it stops when the public at large goes and stands with the survivor rather than the, the abuser. So because the feeling among so many of these survivors is they didn't come forward for all these years because they felt that they wouldn't be listened to, and now it turned and, and they felt that there was a, 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 an appropriate reaction right away. And then when they saw everybody lining up with them, that was just... It, it was just devastating, devastating. I'm, I'm, I can tell you, Michael, um, people contacted me directly that I was involved with 15 years ago and 20 years ago. One, one fellow in particular, you know, very successful, nice guy, beautiful family, um, and he told me that he was, he was suicidal at his son's, you know, uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. He was in terrible shape. Thank God he pulled it together. And he said he hasn't been triggered since then like that. You know, he was li- real despondent, and he said, like, it was just, it was just disastrous. Um, so I guess this good news and bad news. The, the, the good news was that, that things are changing and will continue to change. And this, the fact that this got such exposure, I think, will help in the, in the short term and especially in the long term. So, so many questions that I want to, kind of delve into, and I know we have a limited amount of time, but let's just start from the beginning of this specific incident. Of course, this is not the first incident. Um, Certainly when you think of Eretz Yisrael coming to mind, uh, the amount of time it took to extradite Malka Leifer, who was accused of uh, serial abuse of girls in Australia and left the country with the help of what seems, at least, of her own community, and that was protected by various elements up until Chavre uh, Knesset. Um, and then, I mean, just you, you read about that. But this seemed to be different in a way, a much swifter response, uh, a much, 
and I don't know what has changed, if anything, you know, has changed with regard specifically to, you know, to the circumstances. Uh, I don't know that you had, I mean, you had uh, what we had a, uh, I mean, go back a couple of years, Mondrowitz, right? That was uh, another person who fled Terry Tissuel, which which went on for years and years. And he's, this... still, and he's still living there. Right. And so and this... he's still not extradited. But look, you know... The, so the... so can you contrast for a second? That's my question. Could contrast what happened here, which was swift in a way. Maybe it wasn't swift for the victims. But I guess when from the time Haaretz... And that's, I guess, one of the things, a secular, obviously a left-wing yep. newspaper was no love for the firm community, and sure, that colored some people's reactions right. to it. But from the time that happened to the time in which he took his own life, that was a very swift... Right. So, so, you, so I, I think, Michael, the, the bringing in Leifer and, and Mandrowitz, for example, where many, many uh, um, steps have to be taken to extradite someone. You know, so it's by nature court battles that take years. That's just the way it's going to be in any case, in any extradition case. Um, but if you're just judging by an abuser, you know, uh, uh, abuse allegations are made, um, how seriously does the public take it? So that clearly has gotten much better. You know, Yona Weinberg, the fellow who sued me for slander, you know, he, he, he ran off to Israel. Um, Forget the Israel component. He he was in two thousand nine. He went to trial here in, in Brooklyn, and he had he had the the mother of the victim told me that that there were one hundred and fifty two hundred people in his side every single day in court, and she only had a few at her side. He got ninety letters of support. Michael, that would never happen today. That would never ever happen today, in a situation like this. Nobody would. I, I can't even believe that they'd get five letters of support. You know, besides for uh, close family members, so you know things are things are really improving since two thousand nine. Child safety education. Look, all the schools in your community in the five towns are all all have uh, um, effective, you know, research based child safety programs in the schools. Um, we published our child safety book almost exactly ten years ago, and God bless. We should be benched. Uh, Rabbi Meir Zlatowitz and Yibadul Chaim Tovim, Rabbi Nelson Sherman took a very big gamble on it. I went to them 13 years ago, you know, when it wasn't so popular, and Rabbi Zlatter was, took a very, it was a very gutsy move on his part, and he, there was no upside for him, you know, financially, it was, it was a wash, we, we, we sell it basically at cost, and, and he was, he was incredibly gracious that he did it, and, and, um, but at the time, it was a, it was a, it was a big deal, and, and today, child safety education is, is mainstream. So I think I think we need to focus. I think we should be focusing on on what we need to do as a as a community, and as parents. And the answer is to educate ourselves, and to learn more about it, to understand um, what the halo effect is, and what grooming you know what what uh, gr grooming means, how the dynamics of of these situations unfold. One thing that I would love to work on, I'm doing a, a, um, some Instagram lives on it, on this subject. Um, I, I really am going to push very hard for this whole idea of having protocols and schools and 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 schools. Um, you know, basically laying out what's okay and what's not. Uh, should should it, and I think if there's one thing that would have stopped um, that would have stopped Walder earlier. It, it was. It would be these types of protocols in child safety education, 
But, you know, there's no way that he got away for it with so many people so long without violating what we would consider to be appropriate boundaries. And when we went to school, Michael, especially, I, I got a, I'm 62, I got a couple of years on you. Um, if you read the, the attributes of what, what they warn you about in terms of grooming activities, when our kids went to yeshiva 30 years ago, you'd give your back teeth to get a Rebbe like that, who takes an interest after school, after school and the kids, who gets gifts for the children, right? Who puts an arm around the kids. These are all grooming activities. Now, so, you know, we have to go through a recalibration. I used to take, look, I started teaching 40 years ago. It, it was the best, you know, you would take a kid around the block during the break and get him a Slurpee or something or whatever it was. So, of course, we don't do that today. So, you know, these protocols, I think, are extremely important. And parent safety education is important. And, and you know, the, the, the good news about these things, I, I went through it in the Weberman trial and, and some of these other high profiles, the Hasidic community really moved forward during, during that Weberman trial because it's a teachable moment. Everybody's looking at it and, and paying attention. Parents, I always tell parents, you know, that the kids come home, Michael, you, you, you've been on the receiving end of this. We all have as parents. There's a scandal going on, the, you know, and, and you, you meet your friends in shul or, or on the train and you say, so did your kids ask you? Did your kids ask you? And if they say no, you say, oh, thank God, right? You know, you're just happy that the kids aren't talking about it, but Really, we're much better off that they talk about it. I, I got very upset when there were a few letters written that, you know, some print heads of school, um, I, I assumed that they meant well, but it was just terrible advice. They said, don't, don't, don't talk to your kids about this. That's the time to talk about it because their minds are on it. If you got a third... And they're talking look, about it anyway. That's to, the point. To somebody else. Exactly, exactly, right, exactly. So but, that's but the actually, time. But actually, that... that kind of anticipates my question. And one of the things I, I did, I think very importantly, perhaps you can talk to our listenership and explain how does the parent have an appropriate conversation with their kid and whether it's a preteen or a teenager or even younger yep. so, about so I an issue like this. Everyone I, have, I, I produced about at least 10, maybe 15 videos since the Walder thing broke. Um, I interviewed Dr. David Pelkowitz, who was magnificent, like the two days after it broke. Where can um, people how, find these videos on? Just Yaakov Horowitz. Just go Yaakov to YouTube. Horowitz. Just look up Yaakov Horowitz. I have my own page. You can subscribe, you know, if you'd like. But if not, just work your way through them. You can go to my Instagram page. It's at Yaakov Horowitz also. You know, so we have a lot of talks there. I'm actually doing talks with abuse survivors now. Um, you know, I, I had a... So, so the short answer is... Educate yourselves. Dr. Pelkowitz said one thing that was really profound. He said, it's, it's perfectly fine to tell your children that you don't have the answer. He said, sometimes it's empowering to them when you say, look, we're also struggling. This is very confusing to us. Um, but, but let your children ask you anything. Tell them it's, it's a great life lesson to teach them that they can approach you about anything. And don't tell them no matter how inappropriately they may come forward with it or, or what they say, it's irrelevant. You just say, thank you, sweetheart. I'm really glad you're talking to us about it. It probably was uncomfortable for you to bring up with us, but we want you to be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations with us also. So, you know, parents use the opportunity to talk to children, especially adolescents, because um, the message really is that if, the, if you're uncomfortable, 
um, come talk to us. You know, we, the research shows clearly that, and forensically, situations that I was involved in and, and, and things we've read about, we find out that the people were uncomfortable way before the abuse took place. And I'm sure, you know, those girls that he was involved with, Weberman's victim said the same thing. So that, that's really an important message, to, to listen to the children, to be available, to use it to have, you know, when, when they're little children, Michael, we talk to them in a certain way about child safety, but you have teenage girls, that's the time to talk with them. And I, I, w one message that I would really encourage parents to think about um, is, <clears throat> you know, and a, a woman... In, in a Q&A at one of the Instagram lives I did, I, um, a woman said, she, she expressed it in frustration. After Dr. Pelkowitz got off, um, I took, I took Q&A, and she said, Rabbi Horowitz, so how can I trust you and Dr. Pelkowitz? <laughs> That's what she said, right? If Walder, I'm sorry? Yeah, I'm, right. I, well, it's a good question, right? You're all, the same, you're all the same profession. Yeah, and, and that Walder was known for his books, right. you know, for, for being a child advocate. Right. Uh, I, I wrote a piece, if anyone's interested, in the Times of Israel. I met with it. I don't, I don't want to spend time on it, but I met with him twice, by the way. We were supposed to go in partnership together on our Hebrew safety book. And, Michael, I, I can't tell you till this day, I walked away. I said I had a bad feeling, and I just walked away. Um, I wrote in the piece why, what I attributed it to. But, but the, the, the woman, she apologized half a dozen times, and I said, stop apologizing. You're asking a very fair question. So I said like this, I said, if trust means, if when you say I trust Rabbi Horowitz, that means that you consider me to be a man of integrity, that you believe whatever I say I mean, and if I tell you this research on it, you know that I did my homework because it's important, and I'm not just pulling things out of my ear, then respect me. If respect means that you send, you let your 14-year-old daughter go for a car ride with me at night, home from a wedding, don't trust me. Don't trust anybody. That's what I said. Don't trust anybody. Don't trust Yankee Horowitz. Don't trust Dr. Palkowitz. Don't trust your rabbi if it involves things that are boundary violations. Right. Right. Well, look, we could go on about talking about inappropriate behavior and appropriate behavior, and it's a very difficult thing. I, I don't think that's the – certainly I'm not qualified to talk about it. You certainly are. Um, but, I, I, but I think the one thing I want to – I guess, get out of our short time together is have we made progress? And I know I'm kind of talking about that. We've, you've identified some of the progress that the community has made around these issues. The very fact that we're able to talk about this exactly. and then, you know, send, send it out there into the ether and that people will listen to try and have a better understanding and how to, how to think about this. And I, in no way, and I, I think we always have to put this disclaimer out there, despite the fact that it, it, it should be obvious, look, these scandals are not exclusive to the firm community. It's not even, they're not exclusive to the religious community. Uh, they're not exclusive to any specific any, any community, any, background, in any culture, in any religion. Correct. You know, Michael, I... When I first, I found out in, 19, in 1998, I found out that there were Orthodox kids dealing drugs in Brooklyn. And I, I was 1997, Rabbi Sharo was still alive. And I, he brought me to a Mayatzis Gedalia Torah meeting, and, and, and I asked the question. I wrote this up in the Mishpacha magazine. I asked them if I should report them to the authorities. They all said yes, including our great Rabbi Rav Palm. He said, they're right from you, you have to report them. But I, I went to 
um, the 70th precinct in Brooklyn. I marched in there and I, I asked, I said, I need a drug. I said, I need a drug, Rebbe. <laughs> I, really, I told it to the sergeant at the desk. I said, I need someone. I, I have no information about this stuff. I don't know enough about it. I need to know because our children are doing this. I, I had a wonderful African-American sergeant that I worked with, and he said something, Michael, that was so so spot on. He said, you know, I I, I got sad for a moment. He says, what, what's the matter? Did I say something wrong? I said, I can't, I teared up. I said, I can't believe it. I said, I was halfway through college pre-med. I wanted to be an oral surgeon. I left that to go into chinuch and Jewish education. I said, here I am dealing with this stuff, you know, that I never, I said, it's, it's just so sad. So he says, hey, Rabbi, he, said, he actually encouraged us. Listen to this, Michael. He said, we went through this in the 60s. That's what he said. We went through this in the 60s. He says, you have great families. You have a close-knit community. So you pushed it for 30 years. He said, this is your 60s, Rabbi. And he said, he, this is what he said. He, he, he said, it's not a Jewish problem. It's a human problem. It'll only become a Jewish problem if you ignore it. And that's the message I want everybody to take home. It's not a Jewish problem. It's not an Orthodox problem. It's not a Haredi problem. Everybody deals with it. In fact, you know, I wrote a piece. I wrote a piece in the Times of Israel. Said our kids need protecting, not our community. That's I wrote. That's the title of the piece. And I said, you know, people say, oh, it's lashon hara. Don't say it. You're gonna you reflect badly on the community. It's it's nonsense. Everyone has abusers. People don't protect. Don't don't defend them. The, the black eye that the community gets is not from having abusers. Everyone has abusers. We get a black eye when we make excuses for them, or we say, it's a shanda, don't talk about it, or we're going to have some people watch them instead of going to the police. There's no, there's no embarrassment about having abusers. Everybody has abusers. We just have to deal with it. It's not a Jewish problem. It's a human problem. Well, I think there's no question that the Gdolay Harabanim and Poskim have come out very strongly on the side of getting rid of every book that you could find, and no, nobody seems to be have any interest whatsoever in koshering this person, although some will look at the Matseva that was put up, some will look at the various articles that were written, even the Ated, which took down his column, yeah, put, gave wrote, a glowing wrote, wrote a nice, obituary. I want, to tell you, I want to tell you, Michael, a lot of people sent, emailed me his gravestone, and I didn't. I didn't have any problem. I didn't have a problem with that at all because it was written by his family. Well, put, well, I, I, well, please. I, I think that that's important because I think there's also a lot of people who criticize the Rav Rashi, Rav Lau, for going to the right. shiva. So, uh, so you know, how, how do I, how do how does a person, an outsider, deal with that? Right. right? So, so uh, look, I think, I think, you know, from his perspective. Well, let's put it this way. I think if I was advising him, I would have told him to go. Leave that home as soon as he's finished to go right to the home of that girl, Nebuch, who killed that sadly, the, one of his victims that committed suicide. That's where he should have been next or first. I would have told him to go first to that girl. And then, look, these, are, these kids are orphans. They lost their father. This is no fault of their own. God knows. I hope they're not victims also, you know. So, so I, you know. I, I don't fault the family. I really, I tell people, people send a gravestone to me. I said, look, a picture of it. I said, what do you want? There's children. They're like, you know, they're also victims. You know, they're also, uh, there's no winners here. So, look, I thought the funeral, there's, it's also, by the way, Michael, that they were closer to it than Americans were. You know, we don't know him well. I always told my, I always told Uri, my wife Uri, I hope we never get tested in our lifetime that we find out about an abuser that we knew well for, for 30, 40 years. 
and and you know we'll probably I hope we don't but we'll probably react f- at least for a, some time like everybody else does and says my God it can't, you get cognitive dissonance so you know he died he killed himself and then the funeral was right away I think that's what I think happened I think that it, they just got overwhelmed and I think the people that were involved who made those decisions were feeling guilty that they pushed him to kill himself there were people Michael who said that there needs to be more due process and and that. You know, that, that's, that was a reasonable way of thinking about it. I think it's fair to say, like, what's the rush to judgment? Or why did you, he didn't have any due process. Look, we know when, when, when multiple victims come forward, you know, it's, they, they, they weren't talking to each other. You know, the research shows, I mean, anybody who knows anything about this issue, uh, you know, if you're dealing with this for a while, you, you recognize certain things that are, that are, are obvious. But look, I, I think that's really the message that we need to take away as community members and as parents, um, you know, to, to keep moving forward, to keep pushing the ball forward, child safety education, protocols, um, having conversations with our grown children on a different way than we did when they were eight years old, to talk to them about, about their own boundaries and about, um, you know, being able to defend themselves, and that especially girls, that they should be able to have the courage to say no, whether it's uh, a friend's a brother, uh, you know, a, a, a friend of, of their brothers or the brother or anybody else in the family or anyone, that they should have the, the moxie to say no and the parents will support them. That's a different conversation than you have with little kids. And sure. that's, that's really important to have, um, you know, with the kids. Well, there's so much for us to talk about, and unfortunately, uh, in general, these conversations have to come to an end at some point. But I want to give you the opportunity to talk about the book. The, you mentioned the article book, uh, Let's Stay Safe, and it's a book that should be in every home, in every from home, every Jewish home. Talk to the audience for a second about the book and ha- yeah, how, sure. how should they get it if they yeah, don't have so it we already. Published it, we published it together with the Art Scroll. Um, it's called Let's Stay Safe. Um, you can, there's also a Yiddish version that we made for the Hasidic community. I made it together with the Satmar community. We sold, we, they, we sold them 7,000 books. They put a book in every single home in their community. Um, when we published it, we did. We have two Hebrew versions, and we're, we're doing a push now. We were actually going to do it, Michael, before the summer. We, we planned on doing it before the summer. Um, and, you know, because of this, we just moved it up, and we're, we're going to be publicizing. We just, we just, uh, posted a flyer now that we're going to be um, we're going to be advertising in the papers and in other places. We're offering the book for five dollars, for five dollars um, for bulk orders of over a hundred of over a hundred books with free shipping anywhere in the continental United States. And and we we really want to get a book in every home. That's really our goal. I'm not going to rest until it happens. And you know, you have a community with five hundred families. It's only twenty five hundred dollars to to get a book in every single home. I mean. You know, it, it's not, in, not even a rounding error on the budget of any institution. So, you know, we're really we're getting a lot of philanthropists who are saying, you know, calling us and telling us they'd like to cover the whole community. That, that, that's basically the idea. So, so you can email me. It's ryh at thebrightbeginnings.com. Um, ryh at thebrightbeginnings.com. Um, and it's S- the, our publications director is Stuart Schnee. It's S-T-U at... Uh, Stuart Schnee, S-C-H-N-E-E dot com. Um, and, and just let's, let's get it done. 
Let's get it done. Education is the key. That's what's that's what's really going to stop this. That's what's going to stop right. it. That's right. Okay, Rabbi Yanki Horowitz, the founding dean of the Yeshiva Darche Noam of Muncie and the director of the Bright Beginnings Project. Thank you so much for talking to us about this difficult topic, sure, but Michael. one that's very necessary. And Michael, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know this isn't your um, this isn't your average show. Not my typical this. topic, but yeah. uh, so that's why I let you do most of the talking. <laughs> you know, one of, I, I did a workshop. If anyone's interested, you can go on the, on the YouTube page, Yaakov Horowitz. I did a workshop called um, Getting Your Children Comfortable Having Uncomfortable Conversations with You. And, and if, if there's any takeaway, you know, there was an incident here in the New York area. I'm not going to mention the school's name. I think they handled it brilliantly. Just the way they did everything they should have. Um, a, a faculty member, actually, administrator in a, in a very large, popular school, um, was setting up phony accounts, posing as a girl. I don't know if you heard about it. No, you didn't. It was no I didn't. It was but... two, three years ago. And he. Okay, but you got five seconds, unfortunately, because... Oh, uh... get it. Good. That's it. Speak to your children. More importantly, listen to them. Thanks a million, everyone. Be well. Very good. Thank you. This Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week. Mm-hmm.